Hey there, welcome to the Crimes Insider Podcast, episode two. Thank you so very much for joining us. Right off the top, you may notice a difference in audio quality from episode one. A significant downgrade in audio quality, I'm afraid. The reason is a good one. My wife and I welcomed a baby this past Friday, and I was unable to get to the studio to record the opening and closing to this episode. And so here I am doing it on my phone with my little baby in my arms. Baruch Hashem. Really good reason, but apologies for the for the inconvenience and the downgrading quality. So we won't spend too much time here in this opening section. Just wanted to remind you all to please subscribe to the show in whichever platform you use, whether that's Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Deezer, whatever it is, or you can bookmark the Christ Info podcast page. Thank you so, so much for giving us your support and lending us your ears. Baruch episode one had a found an audience, and the Merit that audience will continue growing, and that with the Thames help, this podcast becomes a place where our community can gather together to talk about the things that are important, and people can get their message out. This week's episode features Rabbi Mendy Hershkup. Rabbi Hershkup is a leader within Crown Heights Shemrim. He has a long history with the organization, and over the years has taken on more of a leadership role and he joined the podcast to discuss the evolution, the day-to-day, the the spiritual grounding of Crown Heights Shemrim. Crown Heights is an organization that many of us know about, many of us interact with day-to-day. Hopefully, we don't interact with them too much on, on a situ- in a sense that we need their help. But we interact with them in the sense that we see them around. We see the patrol cars. We see the cute little scooters. We see the new patrol SUV. We all know it exists, and we all know some of the things they do. But as I discovered, there's a lot more to the story. An open home, and make my mother-in-law makes a tremendous amount of meals for people in need for uh, for various organizations. My father-in-law is fully supportive, and the, the home is an open home, and it's the Achnasas Archim is second to none. And I grew up in a family as well that the Chesed was always a priority. It's always, you know, ask not what anyone can do for you, rather what you can do for somebody else. So I knew that I was going to be part of a chesed organization of some sort. And uh, so after Shana Rishayna, I started exploring this, or towards the end of Shana Rishayna. And there were a couple of organizations that I was interested in. And I also sat down and made a cheshben and nefesh, some introspection, to see, you know, to, to honestly take myself to task and see where, what, what abilities I have what skills I have, what talents I have, and how I can maximize them in the best possible manner and, and help through some of the mediums here in Crown Heights. And it was an easy decision for me. Crown Heights Room was the way to go. I will say that many of my family members, three or four cousins, were already active Crown Heights Room volunteers, and two of them were the coordinators and supervisors of this organization when I joined it. So it was a no-brainer, it was an easy decision for me, and, um, and, and that's how I started. Over the years, obviously your role has changed. You started as, a, as, a, as a, I assume, a, a foot soldier, and now what do you do now? So I started as a foot soldier, and I consider myself very much a foot soldier. I still, my, my, my greatest pride is that I try to take as many calls as I can, and obviously it, life is a balancing act, and it's not just an act, it's, it's in real time, it's for real. You know, Shalom Bayis is key. It's the most important thing. The whole Torah was given, Lasi Shalom Bayilam. 
the Rambam brings lahalacha as well, and it's brought down that uh, if somebody has only enough money, Rahman for Shabbos candles or Hanukkah candles, he should buy Shabbos candles because of Shalom Bayis. So Shalom Bayis is the very most important thing. So you Shalom Bayis, you have your Baruch Hashem, six wonderful children, Laisata, and uh, you know you have to have a relationship with them. You have to. You have to give them the attention that they need. And at the same time, I work in Alitaira, in Yeshiva. I'm an assistant principal in Mechina in eighth grade, which is an incredible, I won't even call it job because it's not a job. And then to juggle Shamrim and a few other volunteer organizations that I'm a part of, it's not always easy, but it's necessary. And I once heard a good vart from somebody that I respect tremendously, Reb Shaya Gordon, someone that lives here in our Crown Heights. He does so much in such a quiet way. He... It says you're, you're allowed to say You can say a little bit of a person's praise in his presence, but Shaya is not here right now, so I can talk a lot. <laughs> He's not going to be happy with what I have to say, so I'm going to keep it short. Shaya could be, if you had to take the words Matan Besaser and put it in a dictionary, one of the pictures that might come up, if there was a picture dictionary, would be Shaya Gordon. So anyways, I worked for Shaya Gordon for quite a few years. And he was always good to me, Shaya Gordon and Reb Shlaimi Klein, another beacon of Chesed and a Shaman volunteer in our community. And I've had many a conversation with both of them. And I once asked Shaya, I once saw him doing a task that he had many employees that could have done that task. You know, this is a legitimately a busy person. And I asked him, Shaya, like you could have asked any one of us, like, how do you accomplish? He just came off a flight that morning and he, I knew he had a meeting and then he ran here and, he, and he's hanging up a picture. And like, how does he do all of this? So I once, and he nonchalantly, without making a big deal, he once told me this, busy people get things done. And that line resonates with me a lot. And I don't consider myself nearly as busy as him. But when, you, when you're busy and you have purpose, you, things, things get done and you're able to, you're able to give, you know, be present wherever you need to be or try to be wherever you need to be. That's, that's, that's beautiful. But nuts and bolts, what's your day-to-day enchantment? Meaning what are you... So like- currently, so I consider myself a foot, foot, I consider myself a foot soldier first and foremost. Nothing changed. I joined this organization to take calls and help people and that's my first and foremost goal. About two, three years into uh, my taking part, and I'd say it's a big schuss, to be part of this organization, but it's not only a schos, it's a chayva, it's a responsibility as well. And I'll elaborate on that later. I started getting involved with uh, helping other volunteers and getting a little bit more involved in the meat and potatoes of the organization, of how calls should be run, of making different policies. And Ba'azah Hashem, Dvarim Ayyatsim Alev, Nechnasim Alev, I was able to affect, to make a good organization better. And with the help of my colleagues, of course, this is not a one-man band. This is, the credit goes to everybody. But I was able to initiate some very positive initiatives. And it just so happened that I kind of got put into that role or just kind of accepted that role. And I believe that I very much earned the respect of my peers and colleagues who I very much respect. And so today they call me a coordinator, a supervisor of what, or whatever, but I, I consider myself just a regular foot soldier, a regular unit, and I do whatever I can to make this organization better every single day. It took us 10 minutes to get you to admit that you have some kind of leadership role. Just on the clock, just, just, point, just pointing that out. So I would like to share with you <laughs> about, about having some type of leadership role. 
how as much as it is a schos, a merit, it's a, it's a tremendous responsibility and it's not taken lightly in any way, shape or form. You know, being in, in, in a leadership role like an, like, like an organization like Shamrim, you're required to be able to be relatable, to be humble, to be able to accept criticism, constructive criticism. You have to be able to see things from somebody else's perspective and you have to earn respect. And you earn respect by giving respect. People reflect what they see. When people see sincerity, when people see honesty, when people see commitment and dedication, they'll reflect that right back at you. And we have an organization. Each one of them is a diamond. They, they, and there's different skill sets for, different, for, for the various volunteers, but each one of them is Anshechayel. Anyways, I want to share a story with you about as much, you know, where Rabbi Gamliel and the Gemara and Hayri Yud brings out that having a position of prominence, if you want to call it that, it's not about control or it's not about power, it's about servitude. The Gemara says a story that Rabbi Yeshua was traveling together on a ship, Rabbi Gamliel. Um, Rabbi Gamliel had sufficient bread for the journey and Rabbi Yeshua had sufficient bread and additionally he brought flour as well. And now the trip lasted longer than expected, and Rabbi Gamliel finished his bread. So he relied on Rabbi Yeshua's flour for nourishment. Rabbi Yeshua also had flour, so he was able to sustain himself. And Rabbi Gamliel says to Rabbi Yeshua, did you know from the beginning that we would have a delay in our trip? How did you know? And is that the reason why you brought an extra you know, sack of flour with you? So Rabbi Yeshua says to him, there's a star that rises once every 70 years, and that star misleads sailors. At sea, and it causes the journey to be extended and for trips to go longer. So I said, maybe on this particular trip, that star will rise. It kind of lines up and, and it will mislead us and the trip will take longer than expected. So I planned. I planned ahead and I brought an extra sack of flour. Rabbi Gamliel says to him, you have so much wisdom at your disposal and you board a ship to earn your, your parnasa. You could earn your parnasa by uh, being a consultant. Or, yeah, yeah, people would get advice from you. I mean, it's, you're, you're a brilliant man. So Rabbi Yeshua says to Rabbi Gamliel, before you wonder about me, wonder about two of your students who are right now on dry land, where our destination is, Rabbi Lazar ben Chisma and Rabbi Yechanan ben Gudgaida. They are so wise that they can even calculate how many drops of water are in the sea. That's how brilliant they are. Yet, they have no bread to eat or no garment to wear. They're basically poor. They're poor. Rahman al-Litzlan. And Rabbi Gamliel made up his mind right then and there that he's going to make them Rosh Yeshivas. He's going to seat them at the head of the Talmudic Academy. Rosh Yeshivas. Ram Gamliel came to dry land. He sent a messenger to them to come that he, can, that he would make a Gansa Kabbalah upon him and the whole ceremony and he's going to appoint them Rosh Yeshivas. Like this, they're going to earn a Bakavadika living. And they did not come. He once again sent a messenger to them and this time they came. You can't refuse Ram Gamliel twice. And Ram Gamliel said to them, do you imagine that I'm granting you authority? You think you're getting authority over here? And that's why you didn't want to accept the honor? He says, This is all about servitude. And he quoted them a Pasuk which I don't recall offhand. So the way we view this is, it, this is not authority. There's no power here. It's servitude. It's basically serving and protecting and doing whatever it takes and being there for the amazing volunteers and supporting them in any way, shape, or form. So that leads it beautifully into the next question. So I know that when I was younger, I was fascinated by police and radios and cops and robbers and all that. And then you get a little older, there are some of your friends who 
never seem to let that go, that little obsession. There's a perception that the people who join Shimrim are looking for a little bit of action. So how do you go about making sure that the people you bring on are there for the right reasons? Hold on. So I disagree. Uh, and this is over the past, you know, 10 years where we have evolved and stood out and stood apart. Bottom line is Crown Eye Charmum today is a, a phenomenal organization, husbands, fathers, family men. Generally, we like people over the age of 21. This is not an organization. If you're 16 and 17 and 18 and looking to have some fun, this is not the house for you. This is not, there's no home for you here. This is an organization of grown men. The average age, the average responder that's coming to your house in Crown Heights Charm Room when you, when you call is going to be in his very high 20s or lower 30s. That's the average age. And we have active volunteers that are in their 40s that are marrying off children today, level-headed adults that are, are amazing people. But a, a huge shout-out goes out to the wives and the families of Sharman Volunteers. If not for their unwavering support, dedication, and commitment, this organization would not be able to be as efficient and as professional as it is today. In the words of Rabbi Kiva to his students regarding his wife, Rachel, and she believed in him, she made him who he was. He said to them, My Torah, my wisdom, my knowledge that I have acquired, and by extension, yours, because because of her, he became Rabbi Kiva, and he was able to impart. He became perhaps the greatest teacher in the history of the world, the greatest teacher of all time. The Garmara Menachah says that the Ebrisha showed Moshe Rabbeinu all subsequent generations, and when he saw Akiva ben Yosef, he said, you have such a great person like Akiva ben Yosef, why did you give the Torah through me? You should have given it to Rabbi Kiva. That's the stature of Rabbi Kiva. And Rabbi Kiva says to his students, shalahu. all of my accomplishments, and by extension your accomplishments, Shalahu is because of her. And I have to say to every single Shamram wife, to every single Shamram child, boy and girl, every single Shamram family, sometimes they do bear the burden. Shali v'shalachem, shalahu. All of our accomplishments, all of our mitzvahs, and all of the great accomplishments that this organization does on a daily basis. So they're married people, they're incredible people, there are people that are business owners, that people that work hard, that have families, and you know, and the one or two that are not married yet are older, responsible, and these are people that are taking calls every single day. Uh, this organization has matured tremendously over the last 15 years, and today is a beacon of light that other prominent organizations call on for help many a time. So this is not an organization where you get a joyride and you get to experience fun and games. We take this very, very seriously. Our volunteers have mastered and crafted the art of de-escalation, of being efficient and doing things in a very professional manner. When, when somebody does apply, we look into it. We take it seriously. And not everybody gets the nod. We look into somebody we vet, and once they are accepted, they are on a some type of trial period. You know, Shamram, not everybody's built for it. Not everybody has it. It's a different type of skill set. You have to be able to de-escalate. You have to know how to handle certain situations. And it's not for everybody. And sometimes, you know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work out for one particular person or another. But we are there every step of the way. The volunteers are, are excellent. They welcome people in. There are many of them that are very good teachers. And, they, and, the, and they'll show the, the new guy on the block how it gets done and what's the thought process behind it. And we support all of the people who join and we give them the know-how and the, and the necessary tools to be able to mold into an, a very efficient professional 
de-escalator and, and a great Shomron volunteer. There's a common misconception out there. You know, people think, oh, it's just about cops and robbers. Rahman al-Islan, cops and robbers, we, we, we're not cops. We're here to serve and protect our community. This is not about fun and games. We take this very seriously. You know, what's the difference between Shamram and other organizations? There are many organizations, amazing organizations, that go help people at risk. And we put ourselves at risk to help others. It's not a joke. It's taken very seriously. And as you know, things on the street can escalate and get out of hand and have repercussions going forward. Our margin for error is zero. And this is a mission. This is a life's mission. This is no fun and games. This is not an organization of fun and games. And the first and foremost requirement we need is not size or strength or anything like that. It's about common sense and fluidity and the Chabad way, mind over matter. Our greatest asset is our mind, is that we're able to anticipate things, to be ahead of things and, and to de-escalate situations. So just some calls that we've had, you know, just to give you, you know, we have missing children, missing elderly, special needs children. This is not about fun and games. Shamram has responded to family issues, teenagers threatening their parents, and God forbid, violence even in the home in some way, shape, or form. And this all gets done with dignity and compassion and respect and professionalism. And we, we, we get various organizations that need to be involved, and we stay for as long as we need to, but we don't overdo our stay. And we live and we learn, and we constantly are evolving and trying to do it better. You know, it could be a woman being chased in the street the other day, down Albany Avenue. Somebody was chasing a woman and, and saying inappropriate things to her, and she ran into a store. The store called Shamram, and there was a Shamram member on the, uh, on the block, you know, from the other side. We were there in 30 seconds. The matter was de-escalated. The person, you know, the person didn't have a criminal history, and we were able to have the cops, you know, take down their idea and their information to let them know that there is some type of enforcement that we're on top of it. The other night, about midnight, Midnight 30, 12.30 a.m., we got a call on President in Albany, President Albany to Kingston, that there's a, a Jewish man and an African-American man that were at odds for one reason or another, and it was, it was about to get, to get a little out of hand, and we, we'd rather not, that it shouldn't get to that. You know, obviously, if a crime is committed, we'll do our best to solve it and to be the eyes and ears of the police and, and try to affect an arrest if we can. But the goal is about condition corrected. It's not about necessarily getting arrests. It's about averting the thing that it shouldn't happen in the first place. A call came out with a tone at midnight 30, and we had a couple of guys out on patrol. Like just to explain what midnight, what, what tone means. 12, a tone would be an emergency call. Certain calls come out, and the dispatcher just puts out the call, and then when the dispatcher thinks that it's a higher priority call, he'll, he'll send a tone out which is an emergency tone, which even if you're sleeping or your radio is low, it's going to alert you and the high chances are that you're going to hear it. And it usually reflects the fact that this is a priority call. Anyways, the response time was under 60 seconds. The person who called us actually pulled a video from his apartment. He was able to see it on his phone. And then he later sent it to me after the call. He called, he hung up the phone, he started videoing. The first unit pulled up at one minute, at one minute, at 12.30 a.m., at one minute, and the, re and the rest of the crew, another six, seven volunteers answered, and all we did was isolate and contain. We asserted that there was no crime committed. We sent both parties their separate ways, and everybody lived to see another day and in a better frame of mind. And, and this is to be taken very seriously, you know, burglary, an assault, a robbery, 
even a package theft. Yeah, we do catch package thieves. We deal with, there's so many, it's hard to wrap your finger around all of them, but we do our best. But it's not just about catching a guy that shoplifted. That's 2% of what we do. There's so much more that goes on. You know, we got a call from people in Atzala the other day about a very difficult situation. She wrote us a beautiful letter to the volunteers that responded on this call. A shluchim from Europe that have a, unfortunately, a you know severe Down syndrome, you know, son. And he's already older. He's like 17, 18, 19 years old. And they came here to get treatment because where they are in Europe, they don't have adequate treatment for him. And amongst his other conditions, he has this fear of leaving the house and they weren't able to get him to leave the house. There was a vital doctor appointment that he had to go. Nobody was able to get him to move. And he was very, very aggressive, very strong, very big. And they called Shamram. The units that responded, each, many of them are business owners, not necessarily young men. We showed up over there. I was the fifth one to walk into the, into the door. And, you know, the parents were like, even if by all means necessary, once he gets out of the house, he'll behave. It's just getting him out. Push him out, schlep him out. Absolutely not, I told her. This boy, he was nonverbal also. Can anyone imagine the difficulties of not able to express yourself? Chas v'shalom, nobody should ever know this. I said to her, this is an organization that brings comfort, peace, and solace, tranquility in its surroundings. It's a beacon of light. We're not going to, even by all means necessary, schlep him down the stairs and hurt somebody. That's, that's not in the equation. It's not going to happen. She says, how are you going to do it? I said, I, we're going to have to believe in the human spirit, and we're going to have to make a keili, and we'll spend an hour, an hour and a half, whatever it takes. And Be'ezus Hashem, we're going to need, we're going to need siyata dishmaya. We always need siyata dishmaya. And, and if we get the siyata dishmaya, we'll be matzliach. Sure enough, he slapped a couple of us. He spat at a couple of us. Cool, calm, and collected. We spoke with him. We, some of the guys were able to gain, get some type of rapport with him. And about an hour later, he followed two of them out of the house. He hasn't been out of the house at that moment, at that point for over two months since they came from, from Europe. He hasn't left. Wow. He has a sphere. He got out of the house. He went into the car with us. And we drove him to his appointment in Borough Park. When he got there, he got flustered in the doctor's office. And he started throwing a tantrum. And big kid. And it was a little scary. The units went back in there. And immediately when he saw them, he came to them. They put him back in the car. They drove him back home. And he didn't want to get out of the car. He wanted to stay with us. He didn't want to go back inside. They told him, listen, they'll, have to, they'll come back and visit him or whatever. And he has to go inside. They walked him in. And this is non-communicative, non-verbal. He gave them both a hug on, on his own volition. Wow. The letter that the, I should have brought it here with me today so you can see it for yourself. The letter that I got from this woman, from, from, this, from these shluchim, it made me cry. And it made us cry. And it's not about us being, you know, this is the type of work that this organization has done. With, with grace, with dignity. It's the part of this organization that nobody sees and nobody will ever see. What you're seeing online is, is 5%, is 10%, not even of what's going on, but how many crimes were averted? How many issues were, were taken care of prior to them becoming an issue because we got there on time to settle that? So this is, this is a serious organization. This is an amazing organization. And this is not an organization for anybody to have fun. If you, if you want to have fun, 
you know, you, there may be other options. This is not the place for you. How many active volunteers does Shamrock currently have? Over 40. When I say active is that there's a possibility that they're going to take a call. I'm talking about the, yeah, yeah. The, the, there's a chance that when that radio goes off, someone's going to answer it. Yeah. Some are more active and some are less active. As we know, some people take calls in the wee hours of the morning more and some people take calls, calls throughout the day. So that varies, you know, people have different things going on in life. And, are, you know, and some people are available. Oh, you know, they're generally available and they can make the time. So depends on what's going on in life. Obviously, like we said, it's about balancing Shalom Bias, your children and, and your Parnassa and also making time for this. I'm hearing a lot of what feels like pushing back on Shemrim's old reputation. I don't know what the old reputation was. I'll tell you this. Back in the day, there was some, there was a lot of politics and, and you know, back and forth. Shemrim is an organization in the, in the last 10 years that was able to rid itself of the politics completely. Our focus is one thing only. How can we help? We're here to serve and we're here to protect. And this is what this is all about. So, you know, here and there, we get a call in 770 for two, you know, for a fight in 770. We're not coming. It's not Shamrim's issue to, to, to stop two Bakram from, from, you know, from having it out. 15 years ago, this, for whatever reason, this did happen. And, you know, this is where a lot of the issues stemmed from. And we're not here to babysit yeshivas and, and, and stuff like that. So we're here to help everyone and anyone that calls our hotline that needs our help. And, and, and that's what we're doing. What's the typical range of calls that Shemrim responds to these days? Not obviously you don't have to detail every single thing, but like what are okay. the general categories of calls? Like so the general categories of calls, you have a lot of what we call EDPs, emotionally disturbed person. And I once heard from Lieutenant Jack, Jack Cambria. He used to be the commanding officer of the hostage negotiation team for emergency service units of the, S of the NYPD. Basically, the, they say that when people need help, they call the police, and when the police need help, they call ESU. He was a lieutenant, and he spoke, he, he, has, he has talked more people off a bridge than anyone in the history of the NYPD. He has a way with words, and he's a very smart man, and I once listened to a lecture of his, I was actually there, and he was talking about uh, how to speak to people and how to handle people, and he got up, and he... His, one of his first questions was, there's a real lesson here. He started off with two things. First one was, what is the opposite of listening? Everybody raises their hand. Yeah, what do you say? Talking. You? Talking. 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 Everybody agrees that it's talking? Pretty much. He says, nope. He says, you know what the opposite of listening is? Waiting to interrupt. The person didn't even finish their statement, and you're already coming up with a rebuttal, a refutation. How are you going to counter it? Listen. You know, and sometimes as, you know, as friends, as husbands, as fathers, as fellow community people, I mean, this is, let's listen. Just listen. And afterwards, once you listen and you process, nishtherin, derherin, you know, really listen. And, and he says, and that's how I connect with people. I just listen. I put myself away and I make myself available to them. And that's how I built my connection. That was just one interesting he said. And he said, anybody know what EDP stands for? So, of course, everybody throws their hands up. Emotionally disturbed person. He says, yes, but there's another one. Anybody? No. He says, EDP is everyday person. Sometimes we have what we call normal, whatever the definition of normal is. And sometimes he's just having a bad day. 
So there's no bad people, but there is such a thing as a person having a bad day. And that person, for whatever reason, just heard tragic news, terrible news. He just suffered a loss emotionally or physically or, or, or a monetary loss. And we don't know what it is. It's easy to judge, but he's not, he's not emotionally disturbed. He's an everyday person, just had his moment. And, you know, it's just a, it's a, it's a way of judging people. Do we always know what somebody else is experiencing? You see in Shul, somebody has a meltdown. He's not an emotionally disturbed person. He's an everyday person. It's the first time in five years you saw having a meltdown. Instead of judging him, maybe ask him if there's anything you can do for him. If you're at least give him the feeling that I'm here for you if you need me. Not to be nosy, but to really help. You asked me for the calls that we're getting. Kinds of calls. We're getting a lot of emotionally disturbed person, people in the street acting erratic, threatening, screaming, yelling at kids, yelling at women, yelling at men. And, you know, people are unnerved by it. Has that gone up over the last Tremendously. Year? Tremendously. And in the mental health space, our call volumes are, are out of this world. I don't have the exact numbers with me, but for every one such call we had, let's say in, when I started in 2010 or 2015, even five years later, we're probably getting 10 or 15 to one. Wow. There is a lot of mental health from outside our community and from within, within inside our community. There's a lot of people, we're getting quite a few calls every single day. I'm being spat at, I'm being yelled at, I'm being followed, I'm being threatened. And you know, the response time on average is about two minutes. Sometimes it could be three or four minutes. It's just hard, Kingston Avenue's. Right. Is, is backed up, Albany Avenue, but sometimes it could be less than two minutes. It could be one minute, So, or, or you know, someone's on the block. So you know, we get there as fast as we can, and once again, we provide that person with comfort, we de-escalate the situation, and usually we get these people to move on, and we you know, walk them out of the neighborhood or watch them, you know, keep an eye on them. Over time, the, the units learn, and again, have mastered this, when we're comfortable of letting it go, when we should still stick around, and Baruch Hashem, the Abishar has blessed us with the wisdom of 99.9% .9 of the time making the right call. Baruch Hashem. So that's one category. And then there's obviously package thieves are a big item. You know, they're all over the place. This summer, this past summer, there were a few prolific package thieves. And I'm proud to say that Shamrim put an end to each one of them. Not only did we get them, we built a case with multiple, we were able to prove multiple with video and, and, and co complaints and police reports and everything. And, and many of them were, were put away for more than just the typical day or half a day. And uh, many of them till today haven't, to my knowledge, stolen a package. And we get videos and pictures all the time. And even some of them that have come back, like the other day, we had a lady that came back. It definitely curbed the enthusiasm because she was stealing 10, 20, 30 packages a day. And it's been three months since she last stole a package. So... It's, it's, we try our best. We're not always going to win. But interestingly enough, package th thievery actually made a decrease in one major category. When I first joined Charm, there used to be more burglaries. Burglaries are very scary because the person can actually cause physical harm in more ways than one. And now that the packages are just left out there, there's less of a reason to try to break into somebody's house. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. But I would say for every 10 burglaries we used to have, we have one, and that's due to the package thieves. But then again, it's annoying. People wait for items that have sentimental value. They have no value for the perpetrator. It could be a wedding album. It could be a, you know, something from a grandparent that was sent in the mail and it has sentimental value, and now this guy just took it. And, or even waiting for a dress, for a wedding dress. I mean, it, these are things that 
that people have value for, or even if it's not, even if it's your, you know, now at Amazon, even if like, it's your tissues yeah. or your, your, you know, your fresh wipes or whatever it is that you ordered, Clorox wipes, it's, it's valuable to you and you need it and, 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 you, and you don't have it. So that category went up. Occasionally there's going to be an assault. There, there may be a robbery. We have missing children, missing elderly. We have special needs, special category missings. We have domestic, domestic violence issues of various different, in various different forms or ways. And, you know, in the mental health department, like I told you, there's a major uptick. Um, there are the, you know, rescue calls. Just last night, actually, about 10 o'clock at night, in the vicinity of Crown Heights, there are many storage houses. We got a frantic call from a woman that don't ask me how I wasn't there, but she got locked into one of these. And now you can't, not anybody can just walk in. It could, if you're on the second floor, if nobody else, like, you can bang and then no one's going to hear you. Somehow the units, a couple of guys responded. And again, these are people that think outside the box that they could be Maven Dover, Mitach Dover. They understand how and what. They got in touch somehow with some type of manager of this particular location and with a police officer that we were able to get on board to help us out. We got access to this warehouse and we were able to get this woman out. And she didn't have the ability to somehow lift the gate or whatever, and it closed on her, and she was panicking and hyperventilating. And a short 25 minutes later, you know, everybody moved on and had a and had themselves a wonderful day. So there are that rescue baby locked in a car. Even though we typically don't do these things, lockouts and boosts, and these are that's a chaverim item. But any type of rescue call, we will handle. If we get the call, we will handle that as well. Another category that we get quite a lot of calls for. Um, we call them a 52 with a 53, which means an accident, motor vehicle accident with a dispute. Many times there's just a fender bender. It's an accident, it's a mistake, and it brings out the very worst in people. And, you know, you have to get a call from a woman, she's frantic. This guy's threatening her, screaming at her, saying all sorts of derogatory things to her because they got into an accident. And many times they try to extort her. Oh, just give me $500. It's not even a scratch on the bumper. And many times you have third-party agitators that start tagging on and making a big scene. It could get out of hand. And, uh, you know, super impressive that a lot of the guys have mastered the art of de-escalation. And, you know, two or three volunteers show up and they're able to just calm the scene down, put everything into perspective, frame it for both parties, what the expectation is, what the law is, how are we going to handle this, and 99% of the time, or even more, a short 20 minutes later, everybody goes home on their merry way, and everybody's happy. And that is a call that we take very, very seriously because it can it can escalate in in ways that are not very good. So that's another that's a category that we respond to quite often. So let's move on a little bit. You mentioned it a little bit now in the way things have changed in certain in certain cases. I think there's a sense a lot of people have that crime is going up in our neighborhood, that things are getting unsafe again. A lot of us remember the 90s and the early 2000s when things were really pretty dangerous in Crown Heights. You couldn't walk the street late at night. And then I'd say until a couple of years ago, for about 10 years, there was a period of time where streets were pretty safe. People felt safe. I mean, obviously things were still happening, but people felt safe. That's changing now. From your perspective, what does that look like to you? You mentioned a couple of in a couple of categories how things have changed. So I wanted to ask in a larger, broader view from a broader question from your view in Shimerim. Um, how the crime situation has changed in Crown Heights, in New York and Crown Heights specifically. Okay. So obviously the crime situation in New York is not getting better, it's getting worse. In Crown Heights, I don't think it's worse than 10 years ago. 
In fact, we get less burglaries and robberies and assaults than some of the other past years. It can fluctuate, but it's not necessarily higher. Understand that today there's more reporting going on. There's more community websites. There's WhatsApp groups of all sorts, you know, of shoals of families and whatever. So everything gets around fast. Information gets around fast. People have statuses and people statuses are very powerful. So there's definitely more exposure. Like somebody once told me, tells me since Crown Heights that info opened up, there's a lot of car accidents in New York and in, in Crown Heights. <laughs> I said, no, there were always crown, cra, uh, car accidents in Crown Heights. Since Crown Heights that info opened up, <laughs> you were there's made no, aware of yes. them. So, so there is that exposure. You know, Baruch Hashem and Crown Heights were very lucky. You know, it says, Chazal tell us, Ein balanes Sometimes miracles happen to us daily and we don't even realize, we don't even recognize them because it's all around us. And for Crown Heights, Crown Heights Shamram, I'm a firm believer that Ein balanes people don't realize the work that these wonderful people are putting in and, and doing on a daily basis to, to make sure that things don't even happen in the first place. Baruch Hashem, we have a pretty good pulse on what's going on in this neighborhood. Of course, there is crime. I'm not going to say there's no crime, but I don't think it's worse than, let's say, five or ten years ago. However, in New York City, specifically in certain parts, um, there's a major uptick in, in crime. Here, we're seeing uptick in, let's say, in package thieves and, and things like that, in lower-level crimes, but in what I would call higher-level crimes, Serious it's crime. not necessarily Assaults, it's, so, yeah, I, it's not necessarily worse than three years ago. Okay. You know, actually, I would say five years ago or so, we had the knockout games. Right. And that was much worse than now. So we're in a better place in regards to, to that. Remember that, and this is perhaps another wrinkle, slightly in a positive way, although overall it's not a positive thing, of the package thievery, right? They used to steal a phone. They would have to push somebody, grab their phone, and run away. Now they can just wait for the Amazon truck or whatever, and, you know, they... Once in a while, they get a nice gadget. They get a nice this. There's no reason to, you know, there's less of a reason to burglarize and rob, although that does happen. So there's not necessarily more crime. Crown Heights is not less safe today than it was five years ago. Absolutely not. A lot of people, though, do feel that it is less safe. So what would you attribute that feeling to? Would you say that it's simply, you mentioned that there's more exposure to new sites, but also is it possible that some of the, there's just a, the vibes, for lack of a better word, are off? There are more, like you meant, like you call them emotionally disturbed people, people who are noisy and loud and who in the subway, on the streets. Is it possible that that changes the perception and makes, Absolutely. makes things feel unsafe Absolutely. even when you're you actually seeing, are safe? You're, saying, you're seeing daily videos from the subway of violent crime, of, of, terrible, of terrible crimes, and that changes the perception. But thankfully, you know, I would say from, uh, from Winthrop to, uh, to Eastern Parkway or a little bit beyond, from Nostrand to Utica, we're doing pretty okay, and Halavai, it should stay that way. Okay, beautiful. Baruch Hashem. That's really good to hear. And again, That's really good to hear. it's not perfect. I'm not, I'm not saying that they're not coming from anywhere, but Baruch Hashem, all things considered, and with the rules getting more and more lax and more criminal friendly, which unfortunately they are, you know, Crown Heights is Baruch Hashem in a good state. You know, typically people always tell me, oh, Crown Heights is a rough neighborhood. You know, my, my wonderful colleagues in, in Williamsburg Shamram and Borough Park Shamram, Williamsburg Shamram gets a whole lot more violent crime than we do. Okay, it's a much bigger community, but proportion-wise, a whole lot more. A lot more. How many videos of Strymals being knocked off? You know, the chances of getting assaulted there are much higher than getting assaulted there. Here. 
Not that we want that to happen anywhere. Right. But that's, you know, basic data and statistics will tell you that. So your message to a Heights parent is that their position on whether their kids should walk in the streets late at night shouldn't be different today than it was five years ago. Maybe the position was incorrect five years ago, but it shouldn't be different. No. Okay, good. That's good to know. This leads into the question about Shemem's relationship, working relationship with the uh, NYPD and other law enforcement bodies. Um, what does that look like today and how has that changed over the years? So Baruch Hashem, Shemem has a very productive relationship with the NYPD. There's great cooperation on both sides. And uh, many times we serve as liaisons between the community and our police department as a bridge. And we are the eyes and ears of the police department and we help them in many ways. And we're definitely helping them curb crime and keeping things under control. In regards to the police department, we obviously support the police. We're a police supporting community and it's Alpi Tyra that we have to do that. In Yermio, there's a Pasuk that says, that we have to seek out the welfare of the city and Davin and pray on its behalf. And, uh, and, and in Pirkei Abbas it says, have a We have to daven for the well-being of our countries and the cities that we live in, that we should live in peace and we should live in prosperity and tranquility. This is Alpitaira that we have to do that. So we, we definitely support our police department and we have a very beneficial relationship with them. And again, we deal with a lot of, you know, communal issues. Many times administrators of yeshivas reach out to me for something. There's a concern from this organization. There's a concern from this shop owner. There's a concern. And we, have, we bridge the gap between them and the community affairs or various bodies within the police department. And we try to find solutions within reason, whatever the law says, how we can possibly help the person that's petitioning for help. So Baruch Hashem, it's very productive. How do you see the NYPD and their interactions with our community and other communities that live in this neighborhood with the last couple of years? And there's been a lot more in the media, a ton more exposure of and focus on police misbehavior, police brutality, things the police have done wrong. There's a general tenor where, where people are, are saying, okay, maybe again, obviously there are people who are very radical and say the police should be abolished. We're not, that's not obviously on the table here. We're talking about people who say, okay, the police are obviously necessary. There are, most of the cops are good, but there's some problems here. Okay. So people are not perfect, and neither is the police department. There's nobody in the world that's perfect. There's 40,000 or 40,000 plus police, police officers, and I'm not a spokesman for the NYPD in any way, shape, or form. Just giving you my own thoughts. So obviously there's going to be an issue here and there. They have thousands and thousands of interactions with the residents of New York City every single day. But I can tell you that over the last almost 15 years, I've witnessed myself a few thousand police interactions. And they've largely, I can't say they've all been, I can't say I've never gotten attitude from a police officer. And, and it wasn't okay. But at the end of the day, it never got out of hand because at the end of it, you know, there is some form of mutual respect. And there is such a thing called compliance. You know, most of the time where you have quote unquote police brutality is when someone was also hitting them back. You know, when you hit a police officer, you're not going to win that, at least in, in, immediately. Now today there's a lot of social media pressure, but most of the time, if you just comply, you're not going to get hurt. Now, if there's wrongdoing, they all have body cameras that are recording for the entire duration of their shift. Every one of their interactions, every one of their statements is recorded. And, and access is, it can be granted through the legal system. So if a cop wronged you, you get a good lawyer, you can get compensated for that. There is a system, there is a way. 
But most of the time where there is police brutality, I mean, if there would be a little bit more compliance, it would have never gone uh, to that level. Now, I've been, again, I've seen a couple thousand police interactions and I've got an attitude myself on occasion, but largely very positive, largely very positive. And again, it might not always go our way. You know, today the laws, the police department's very handicapped as well, as it's well documented. They're not getting the necessary support from Albany, and they're not getting the necessary support from City Hall, although this mayor is vocally in support of the NYPD. But, you know, the, the way they operate changed drastically in the last 10 years. It's not the same police department of 10 years ago, but there are many, many very good cops. I, I, I communicate, I send them videos and, and, and give them an update of what's going on in the neighborhood. We have a pulse of what's going on. So they have a, a, our perspective, the neighborhood's perspective of what's going on to make for a safer community. And there's a lot of good cops who, who genuinely care. And of course, like in every major corporation, in every major institution, there's going to be a couple of bad apples. And we're not saying everyone's perfect and we're not saying there are no issues. But, you know, throwing the police under the bus is not the solution. The Shimerim interface with any organizations that are in any way similar to Shimerim for other communities. In Crown Heights, obviously, the from the from Jewish community has Shimerim, and they're a volunteer organization. They do a lot, of, a wide variety of functions, but they're they're community patrol. Obviously, it's, it does so many other great things, but it's a community watch organization. Is there any other similar organization for any of the other communities that live in our neighborhood or around our neighborhood? I don't think so. I know that. On the other side of Eastern Parkway, there's an organization. They have an office on Kingston Avenue, north of Eastern Parkway, called Save Our Streets. And they're they're I again I I don't this is a very um, elementary opinion. I don't I'm not very familiar with them, but they they're there to tackle gun violence. That's their motto. But uh, I don't think they have anything organized like this. So if there's no organizations that do what you do for other communities, the black communities, the Hispanic community, whatever, whatever other communities that live around here, is there, is there any kind of liaison leadership or any kind of communication with leadership in those communities? So from Shamram directly, not really, but there, there are, you know, African-American leaders like Richard Green, that my cousin Gadi, who is the heartbeat of Shamram you know, 33 years, I think, at this point of dedication of picking up the phone almost every single night, responding to, you know, be dispatching tens of thousands of Shamram calls in the span of those 30 plus years and responding to hundreds of calls physically in person himself throughout the day. He has, he knows him, you know, he's definitely spoken to him. I believe people like, you know, real community activists like Yaakov Berman or Yassi Hershkup from the Urgent Care they have a, a robust relationship with many African American leaders in the, in the in the community, and you know they they keep up, and it's very productive. So let's switch gears a little bit and head back to inside our own community. You mentioned that you respond to domestic situations. Mm -hmm. Along those lines, what are some issues in our community that you've learned about and become exposed to through your time with Shamrim that you think? people should be more aware of and that there should maybe be some kind of effort to help and work on and prevent. So in the mental health capacity, you know, obviously there's more awareness. There are so many workshops from various credible organizations and Rabbi Mehmvi'ev Shalafartam, so I'm not going to get into naming. I don't want to miss anybody out and anybody should feel left out. 
But it's definitely something that there's a lot more awareness than there used to be. And we have to continue evolving and progressing in that direction. Shamram has responded, like I told you, our mental health uh, call category, when 10 years ago we were getting, let's say, one, you know, for every one we were getting, we're getting 10 or 15 now. There's something else that I feel that our community can get better at is paying more attention. If you see something, say something. You walk in the street, don't be oblivious. Look around. We are all responsible for one another. We bear a tighter responsibility as well to look out for one another. When you're walking in the street, if something looks amiss, call it in. So many times I hear after an incident or the next day, oh yeah, I saw that guy acting erratic, but I just brushed it off. Make a phone call. Two minutes later, someone shows up with a 99% success rate of making the right determination if there's something here after observing, you know, eyes and ears for a couple minutes or not. Make the call. Why'd you just leave? Why'd you just brush it off? People have to, to learn to call right away, to call first, to call fast, and not just, oh, it's just nothing. That's number one. Number two is every single person was given by Hashem certain skills, talents, and abilities that are unique just to them. The Gemara says in Sanhedrin, Kashem Shein Partsufem Shavis Kachem Deyasein Shavis. Just like no two people physically look the same, no two people physically think the same. We are all different and we are all unique. Every single one of us was blessed with something that we can give to the world. And I think that there needs to be a little bit more volunteering in Crown Heights. For whatever organization you like, get involved. If you have something to give, whether it's once a week, whether it's once a month, and whether it's every day, and every person's in a different place in life, but get involved. Help. Shed some, be a beacon of light. Every single person is a candle, is, is, is a flame. You know, um, in time Mimim, they told us we're, we're lamplighters. We are lamplighters, and we ignite our lamp, we ignite our flame by learning Torah every day and doing mitzvahs. And when we ignite our Ner Hashem Nishmas Adam, we ignite our own fire, our own soul, by Ner Mitzvah Vatayra, with the fire of Taira and the passion of doing a mitzvah. And this could be done in the realm of Chesed as well. Of course, everybody should be Kaveyat in Taira. Every person needs to learn Taira, and every person has to find time to learn Taira. And Baruch Hashem, there's, it's not a Shamrim thing, but it is a Shamrim thing. We'll tie learning Taira into Shamrim. The Gemara says that if not for David that was sitting and learning Taira, Yoyov would not be successful in battle. And if not for Yoyev going out there and waging war, David would not be able to sit and learn. Tyra Magino Matzla, it says, Tyra protects. You're learning Tyra, it protects your community, protects your environment. Say a capital tell him it protects your community. And at the same time, you need the David Amalekhs and you need the Yoyevs. David can't do it without Yoyev, and Yoyev can't do it without David. But every single person has to, you know, get involved in learning Tyra and sharing his skills and sharing his abilities with the rest of the communities. And there's many different mediums where you can share your God-given talents with other people. And in and, and, and Crown Heights, we got to do a little bit better, in my opinion. You know, too many times an incident happens... And it takes two or three or four minutes for somebody to actually call it in. When if it would have been called right away, we could have averted or could have avoided the incident or definitely dealt with it in a better, in a better way because we would be there earlier. And one of the very first Shamra members in the history of the world, Maisha Rabbeinu, 
It says that Moshe Rabbeinu heard that an Egyptian slave master was beating up a Jewish man. He beat him to death. Moshe Rabbeinu found out about it. You know how? I'm going to give you an unconventional pshat. <laughs> he was sitting and learning, and he had a radio on his belt. The dispatcher put over a tone on the cross street of this street and that street. Moshe Rabbeinu responded. He showed up. He had some divine way of saying a couple of words and resolving the issue, but just saying a couple of words. We don't have that capacity. But it says when he got there, he looked this way, he looked that way, she saw that nobody was there, and he put him in the sand. I want to give a different interpretation to that. Every single person has a piece of Moshe Rabbeinu inside himself. The Alter Rebbe writes that, that every, everybody has, like I believe it's Echad Mini Elef, we all have a piece of Moshe Rabbeinu inside of us. So you come to a situation, you see a situation. Moshe Rabbeinu was not necessarily the only person there. He saw a lot of people there. But he saw them on their phones taking video. Or not noticing. So, nobody stepped up to the plate. So, when there was nobody present, he, he took it upon himself to be present. And we have this responsibility, this moral responsibility, to look out for one another. Be like Maisha Rabbeinu. Be that guy that notices. Not only in the street, in Shul. You have a, you know, Yosef HaTzadik, we're just finishing learning. Yosef HaTzadik, we all deal with various challenges, trials and tribulations in our own life. Nobody has it easy. Unfortunately, some people have it less easy than others. Yosef HaTzadik has every reason in the world to be angry and depressed, hated by his brothers, thrown into a pit with snakes and scorpions, sold into slavery, finally sees success in Paitifar's house, and then a vicious libel, ends up in an Egyptian prison. He has every reason in the world to be depressed and give up, have no desire to live. But he's upbeat. And that's a shear for another time. How he was able to have, and the Rebbe, the Rebbe addresses this. He notices that there's two Egyptian ministers that are in a cell near him that have been there for a couple of days that are having a particularly bad day. So despite his own misery... He's able to notice two other people that are having a rough day and he asks them, Why are you so melancholic today? What's going on? Maybe I can help you. And that actually punched his ticket out of jail because eventually Pare has right. the dreams and we know the story. You go to shul, you see someone that's something that doesn't look right. Don't ask to be nosy. That's treif. Ask with, with, with at least the machshava taiva that if there's something that you can do about it or just to be able to listen to somebody. Give someone that feeling that I am here with you, you can talk to me. And we need to do better with that as a community. So some people are going to say, okay, so I saw an incident in the street. I don't, I'm not that type of guy that can get involved. I don't have the courage. I don't have the strength. I don't have the know-how. I don't know how to de-escalate. And that's fine. But you have a phone in your pocket. Everybody does today. Call Shamrim. A few months ago, it was a Friday, it was after yeshiva. Yeshiva gets dismissed 12 o'clock on Friday. We're still in the office. 12.10 comes over a call a block away for a male chasing men and women in the streets. People were petrified. I was literally a block away. I was there within a minute. And I was able to attract this man's attention. And 
within the next minute, two or three or four wonderful colleagues of mine showed up. And we were just able to show them that on one hand, we mean business, but give them just also a little dignity. And we ended up, you know, walking him out of the neighborhood, no incident. He went from being this scary thing to just, you know, calming down. You know, at first he was yelling at us as well, but eventually he calmed down and the whole thing was averted. The caller was one of the Kylo Younger Light from uh, Rabbi Fisher's Kylo. And he wasn't that type of person that could intervene. He's a Talmud Chacham. He sits and learns Tyra. Beautiful thing. But he immediately picked up the phone. The call was dispatched immediately and the response was immediate and nothing happened. You know, somebody once asked me, how many Shamran volunteers are there? I said, a couple thousand. So he looks at me and he says, no, there aren't. I said, there aren't and there are. You know, typical Jewish answer. It depends, right? <laughs> so he says, how do you have? I said, we have a couple thousand calls a year. Every one of those callers set the ball in motion. Yeah, so sometimes one of our guys, one of our volunteers is walking in the street and he sees something. But 98% of the calls are coming from people on the street, from homes, people that are calling in to let us know of a condition, to alert us to a condition. Every one of those people is a Shaman volunteer. They set the ball in motion. There you go. Crown Heights, a community of heroes. And with that, Rabbi Hershka, thank you so much for your time. We really, really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for being our first recorded guest for the Crown Heights Insider. It's always an honor for me to just schmooze with you about anything. Certainly to be, <laughs> to be you know... Too kind. To be the first one on the podcast. And hopefully it'll be the first of many more engaging, productive podcasts that people can, you know, take something away from it, take something that they can learn from it. And there should be many teachable moments on this podcast that enhance the lives of the residents of Crown Heights and beyond. Because Crown Heights is not just a geographical spot on the map. It is. Certainly is. But Crown Heights is the heartbeat of the Chabad community, which is a worldwide community. So a Crown Heights podcast really is, it, it can be, you know, it's, it's around the world. And okay. as a Hashem, this podcast will get around the world. And you should be one of the first people to, on your podcast, to be able to interview Mashiach Tzidkainu B'mheiru B'meinu Mamash. Now that, that would be something. That would be an honor. I don't know if I'm worthy of that, but Mertz Hashem. Mertz Hashem. Thank you so much, Rabbi. Thank you for your time. Two or three or four wonderful colleagues of mine showed up. And we were just able to show them that on one hand we mean business, but give them just also a little dignity. And we ended up, you know, walking him out of the neighborhood, no incident. He went from being this scary thing to just, you know, calming down. You know, at first he was yelling at us as well, but eventually he calmed down and the whole thing was averted. The caller was one of the Kylo Younger Light from uh, Rabbi Fisher's Kylo. And he wasn't that type of person that could intervene. He's a Talmud Chacham. He sits and learns Tyra beautiful thing but he immediately picked up the phone the call was dispatched immediately and the response was immediate and nothing happened you know somebody once asked me how many shaman volunteers are there i said a couple thousand so he looks at me and he says no there aren't i said there aren't and there are you know typical jewish answer it depends <laughs> right so he says how do you have i said we have a couple thousand calls a year every one of those callers set the ball in motion yeah, so sometimes one of our guys, one of our volunteers is walking in the street and he sees something. But 98% of the calls are coming from people on the street, from homes, people that are calling in to let us know of a condition, to alert us to a condition. Every one of those people is a Shaman volunteer. They set the ball in motion. There you go. Crown Heights, a community of heroes. 
And with that, Rabbi Hershka, thank you so much for your time. We really, really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for being our first recorded guest for the Sukkotites Insider. It's always an honor for me to just schmooze with you about anything. Certainly to be, <laughs> to be, you know. Too kind. To be the first one on the podcast. And hopefully it'll be the first of many more engaging, productive podcasts that people can, you know, take something away from it, take something that they can learn from it. And there should be many teachable moments on this podcast that enhance the lives of the residents of Crown Heights and beyond. Because Crown Heights is not just a geographical spot on the map. It is. certainly is. But Crown Heights is the heartbeat of the Chabad community, which is a worldwide community. So a Crown Heights podcast really is, it it can be, you know, it's it's around the world. And as a Hashem, this podcast will get around the world. And you should be one of the first people to on your podcast, to be able to interview Mashiach Tzidkainu B'mheiru B'meinu Mamash. Now that, that would be something. That would be an honor. I don't know if I'm worthy of that, but Merz Hashem. Merz Hashem. Thank you so much, Rabbi. Thank you for your time. And that's that. Thank you again to Ramendi Harshkup for joining us on the Crown Heights Insider. I hope you found that conversation as interesting and inspiring and illuminating as I did. There's a lot to learn, a lot to know about the organization, the people that help keep our community safe. Next week, we'll be back to our normal audio quality and apologies and thanks for bearing with us on this. Thanks again for listening. This was episode two of season one. Like I said at the very top, we're hoping to have about an eight to 10 episode season of season one. And thank you for joining us on the ride. As always, please like and subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. Please tell your friends. And thank you again from the Crimes Insider. Mm-hmm.